This message is entitled, The Loving Dot 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 Kindness. <laughs> the Lord was speaking to me while I was sleeping, actually. While I was dreaming and having this conversation with the Lord, I didn't see anything. I began to be awakened so that I could, in my conscious mind, be aware of what was happening. And I was talking to him about his absolutely free loving kindness. That is a lexicon's definition of the word grace. God's absolutely free loving kindness. So years ago, when I wanted to know what grace was all about, because the church I went to made grace sound like second prize. <laughs> you know, you ask God for this, and if he says no, he gives you grace. <laughs> and I, so I was like, this grace thing doesn't sound very good. I want to understand grace. And so when I found that description, his absolutely free loving kindness, I started to insert that in my Bible reading. When I would come to the word grace, God's absolutely free loving kindness. While I was having this conversation with the Lord, he said to me, I want you to minister on the last part of that definition. My absolutely free loving dot 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 kindness. And I said, okay. <laughs> so I began to look into his dot, 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 kindness. <laughs> and I found very quickly that when you try to study the loving kindness of God, it gets very big very quickly. And so I was walking around my living room going, Lord, it's too big. <laughs> I can't possibly get it small enough to give to somebody. <laughs> It's like trying to eat an entire elephant all at once. It's not possible. God, it feels like I'm trying to thread a camel into an eye of a needle. Your absolutely free loving kindness is so big and so real and try to fit it into the eye of a needle. And I said, God, a picture paints a thousand words. There's a song. But why can't I paint you? God, that's how I feel. I'm so frustrated. You are so good. You are so kind. How on earth can you paint that in a way for other people to see it? And so I didn't get a good answer. So my prayer is, Lord, please thread the camel this morning. <laughs> because I can't. You're going to have to speak to them. You're going to have to show them just how big and how good you are. Amen. Matthew 19.26 says this, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So that's what we're believing this morning, that you're going to actually see God thread a camel through the eye of a needle. Amen. So as we look at God's loving kindness today, what I hope you come away with is a greater understanding of God's heart for you. I think we've seen that this morning. God trying to say, I want you to know my heart. Understanding his desire to be kind to us can bring us great comfort and hope and faith, especially in difficult times. And the truth is everyone has difficult times from time to time. In our difficult times, we do need to remember we do have a good, good father. It actually says that right here. <laughs> He's a good, good father who sits on the throne of grace. We're in the midst of our difficult situations. His grace and mercy can be found and obtained. We're going to look at God's loving kindness beginning in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, his absolutely free loving kindness, that we may obtain mercy 
and find grace, absolutely free loving kindness, in time of need. We need to know where to go in our time of need. And we need to know what we actually need in our time of need. To begin with, it says, let us come boldly. Now, over the years, when I've come to the Lord in prayer, I have come all different kind of ways. Years ago, you know, you had to slink towards the throne of grace. (laughs) You know, because you weren't worthy. So you would kind of do the little army crawl up to the throne of God's grace, hoping he would bestow his mercy on you. (laughs) I had to learn that I didn't come in my own name, that I came in his. When I learned that, that helped. There was a lot less of that army crawl thing going on. But God actually tells us here, come boldly, boldly. And boldly means to be frank, to be blunt, to be outspoken, to be full of confidence, to hold nothing back. It also means to pour out. So we can come to the Lord and pour out. We can pour out our sorrow. We can pour out our anger. We can pour out our frustration. We can pour out whatever we're going through. God is not intimidated by us pouring out. He says, come boldly and pour out. Whatever it is, if it's worship, pour out. If it's love, pour out. And you know what? You're the one that gets to decide how much you pour. I hear the Lord saying, so often we're waiting for God to pour out. We come to him and you pour out, God. And he's like, no, that's not how it works. You pour out and I'll come and fill you. You pour out and I'll restore. You pour out first. Faith steps out. When we pour out, he will pour in. So it says, come boldly. Boldly is to have complete and full confidence. In 1 John 5.14, it says this. And this is the confidence. And it's the same word. It's pararesia. When it says, come with boldness, come boldly, it's actually two words. With boldness. With confidence. Amid confidence. It actually puts you in the middle of this confidence. That's the concept. When we come to God, we're supposed to come with this complete and full confidence in Him and in His willingness to hear us. Because it says in 5.14, and this is the confidence that we have towards Him, that if we will ask anything, anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. I love these scriptures. Do you see how big they are? He went out of his way to say, nothing is off limits as long as it's in my will. Nothing. Whatever you ask, if you know he hears you, then you can know you have what you've asked for. We should have that kind of complete confidence. The problem is, too many Christians don't know God's will. We have a very dear friend who's a minister. And he was up for a promotion at his job. Would be a great increase for his family. More responsibility, however. And so his prayer to God was, God, if this be your will, that's what I'll have. And I went, oh, crunchy face. Oh. (laughs) And he was telling us the story, and I'm thinking, I bet you don't get it. Because he's not believing he's received. He's batted the ball, if you will, back into God's court saying, it's up to you. And it's not up to the Lord. 
It's up to what we believe. It's about our confidence. It's about us coming to the throne of grace and obtaining. The word obtain means to take. So often we think receiving is a very passive thing. We just stand there and wait for God to do it to us. (laughs) That's not what receive is. That's not what obtain means. It means we come to the throne of grace with complete confidence, knowing we're walking away with what we need. Knowing we're walking away with what we need. Not hoping we're walking away with what we need. Knowing we're walking away with what we need. That is the difference between confidence and hope so. Hope so says, I hope that God wants this for me. Is it his will? His word is his will. His covenant is his will. Let's see, what does his covenant provide? Forgiveness of sins, a brand new heart, a brand new spirit, no more curse. So if you're not asking for anything outside of that, then it's in his will. He wants us well. He wants us to prosper. He wants our relationships to be good and healthy. He wants to protect us and take care of us and rescue us. He wants all of those things. So when we come to him, come boldly, boldly, knowing you're going to get what you asked for, that you're not just hoping he's in a good mood. (laughs) Because he's always in a good mood. James 5.16 says this, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. In the Greek, the word man is not there. It's just there for clarification. So it's saying, the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. Are you righteous? (laughs) That was kind of weak. Are you righteous? (laughs) Yes. That's what part of our confidence. That's why we don't have to army crawl into his presence, because we are wearing the righteousness of Christ. One of the things he said this morning, I can't wait for you to come. I'm just so excited when you come. That's his heart. He says, come. We'll have a good time. And it says this effectual fervent prayer is only one word. Effectual fervent is a Greek word for energy. So oftentimes we think if we pray really strong, shout, that that's energetic prayer. (laughs) No. Energetic prayer is a prayer full of confidence. Confident that when what we get at his throne of grace is grace and mercy and nothing less than that. We always have to remember that the throne of grace is never a throne of judgment, even when we blow it. Because guess what? You're going to blow it. It happens. We don't try to blow it. We don't make plans to blow it. <laughs> but it happens. Recently, I was having a conversation with a family member who was telling me that another family member was very angry with me. I had disappointed them in some way. They, I didn't measure up to their, what they thought I should have done in a certain situation. And flesh came out of my mouth. It was just one little sentence. I reeled it in right away. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm sorry, Lord. That was, that was flesh. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and later he says, you have to call that person and tell them that was flesh. Okay, I will. I called them and I apologized. And it wasn't any big deal to them. It's a big deal to my heart that when I act outside of my righteousness, I don't make my Jesus look good. What will 
help Jesus look good is when I make my wrongs right. (laughs) But God is love. His throne is a throne of grace, unearned, unmerited, and divine enablement. Grace is not just his unmerited favor. Grace is gigantic, too, to understand the full scope of it. Divine enablement. You see, a lot of times when we come to God, we need him to do something in us, not just for us. If we're having problems reeling in our flesh, (laughs) uh, we need him to do something in us. That's called grace. By his grace, he strengthens us. By his grace, he helps us make our wrongs right. By his divine enablement. So when we need to change us, there's grace for change. We cannot change ourselves. How many of you tried that? (laughs) Yeah, you found really quick, we are unruly. (laughs) We need his grace to change us. We can't do it in our own strength. 1 John 4.16 says, God is love. So when we're talking about loving kindness, God is love. And whatever comes out of love is going to be kind. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient and love is kind. God is patient and God is kind. So that's the kind of person we're coming to, someone who's patient and kind. Even if you feel like you're struggling in a certain area and you're like, one more time, Lord. (laughs) Sorry, I'm struggling with this thing. Patient and kind. And he wants us to be patient and kind with ourselves. He knows we can't change ourselves. He knows we can't do it in our own strength. So he wants us to be patient and kind with ourselves because beating ourselves up will never accomplish God's will in our heart and in our life. We need to be patient with ourselves as we let God work his grace in us. I looked up the word grace in Vine's dictionary and it says this, Grace is God's friendly disposition from which kindly acts proceed. So when we come to the throne of grace, we need to know his disposition is already love. We're not going to change his mind about anything. He already knows everything and how it should be. So we're not going to convince him of anything. He doesn't need his mood changed. He's always in a good mood. He's always patient. And he's always kind. I had a friend We were best friends for years and years and years until I moved away and got married. (laughs) We were prayer buddies at at church. When I see her now, I don't see her very often, but I do see her occasionally. She's a hugger. She's always been a hugger. She doesn't politely hug you. She hugs the stuffings out of you. (laughs) When she sees me, she embraces me and holds me and hugs me. Oh, I've missed you. Oh, I love you. Oh, it's been so long. Oh, I just love you. And it goes on for several minutes. You know when you have met Dawn, you have been loved. (laughs) That's God. That's our Father. That's how he receives us. When we come to him, that's the way he wants to receive us, with hugs and kisses. We can come boldly to the throne of grace because we are well received. We don't have to worry about an angry daddy. We tend to avoid people who are angry. And if we think our daddy is angry because we've failed, we're wrong. I love the parable of the prodigal, because it's not really about how bad the prodigal was. It's about how good the daddy is. 
it doesn't matter how bad we've blown it. There's consequences, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but we can always run to our daddy. Always. And we will be well received. Always. So that's part of where our confidence comes from. When we know with whom we are seeking favor, that he's already favorably disposed. Our confidence will go up. Now this is really important when you're in a difficult time. When you get into a difficult time, you can start with, what did I do? What didn't I do? You start looking into your filing box of your head going, where did I mess this up? <laughs> where did I miss you? But the truth is, you can be exactly in the center of God's will and be perfectly miserable. <laughs> Isn't that good news? <laughs> you say, well, how could that be? How could you be in God's will and be miserable? Well, there is this person called the adversary who doesn't want you in the perfect will of God and will do everything to try to get you out of God's perfect will. If he can make you discontented with your situation, if he can get you convinced that you're out of God's will, is Satan going to bother you if you're out of God's will? No. <laughs> Why would he bother? You're already not a problem. <laughs> when we get in God's will, we can expect that the enemy is going to come against us. Marty said this morning, it's Sunday. <laughs> Satan started bright and early this morning. When you're in God's will, especially if he has a plan and a purpose for where you're at, you can expect Satan to kick down your door, try to make you as unhappy as possible because you're a threat. You're a threat where you are. If you're coasting, you might want to come to the throne of grace and get some direction. <laughs> <laughs> because Satan is an adversary. My daughter made a decision a few months ago about her remaining here as a worship leader because it's a huge sacrifice. And as soon as she did, all hell broke out. You see, she could go, oh, must not be God's will. No, it is God's will. And he's trying to get you to change your mind. You see, Satan cannot stop you from fulfilling your purpose and God's plan in your life, but he can try to get you to do it for him. He can't stop you from fulfilling God's plan and purpose in your life. The only thing he can do is he can get you to do it for him. He has to convince you that you're in the wrong place doing the wrong thing. And if he can get you to do that, if he can get you to quit. When we started this ministry, hell broke loose all the time. Constantly. Why? Because we are starting to walk in his plan and purpose for us. We're becoming a threat. So every week, Satan's trying to beat the stuffings out of me. All I do is I go to that throne of grace. I go and I get some power. I get some direction. I get some promises. I get some healing. I get whatever I need so I can keep going and doing what I know my Father has called me to do. We need the throne of grace. Amen. So when the Lord said, particularly to look at the kindness part of this, I looked up what kindness is. What do you mean by kindness, Lord? Well, the Webster's 1828 Dictionary says this. Goodwill, benevolence, the temper or disposition which delights in contributing to the happiness of others. I like that. Which is exercised cheerfully in gratifying their wishes, supplying their wants, and alleviating their distresses. That's what kindness is. So the Lord was particularly talking to me about those times when we're in distress. 
Because I asked the Lord, what's the difference between being kind and being nice? And the Lord reminded me right away of an instance where I perceived his kindness. In fact, two of them. The first one was years ago, in the middle of a divorce, I had to start a new job. Everything was going wrong. I suddenly had to be the parent to four children by myself. My happily ever after was ripped out from underneath my feet. (laughs) And I was beat up. I was hurting. And the place where I started to work, there was three bosses there. And my boss was my boss only. And as I was having a hard time at work because of all this stuff in my life and a brand new job, I had never done this kind of work before. I was uh, in a law office. I felt like I was failing everywhere. And my boss left for the day. And within about a minute or two, he came back up. He opened the door, stuck in his head, and he said, I want you to know I'm really glad you're here. It's going to be okay. And he left. I knew instantly that was my father's kindness. Because I was in a place of distress. And I needed somebody to be kind to me. And my father sent somebody to be his kindness to me. Another time when my first mother-in-law passed away. My kids' grandma. The only grandma they ever knew. I got a call at work. I have to find all my children. (laughs) They're all older. And we have to go and start making plans and all that. And I was overwhelmed. I was in a place of distress. The funeral was going to be in Milwaukee at night. And I'm thinking, okay, I am a big girl. I can do this. I hate traffic. I hate traffic. (laughs) I hate it when other people try to endanger my life. (laughs) But I'm a big girl. I am strong. I have Jesus Christ. I can do anything. As I'm giving myself this pep talk, I can do all things through Christ. He strengthens me. I can do this. And my brother-in-law came up to me. He says, I want to drive you and your children. I said, no, no, that's not necessary. I'm doing the big girl thing. I can do this. He says, no, really, please, let me do this for you. In that instant, I felt the kindness of my father. Turned out, not only was it (laughs) raining that night, I hate to drive in the dark, and I hate to drive in the dark when it rains, (laughs) especially in an unfamiliar area. It was all of those things. And there was an accident, and everything was detoured. And as we're going around all of this nonsense, the Lord says, I uphold you with my right hand. I will take care of you. The kindness of our Father when we are in distress. He will send kindness to you. That's who He is, especially when you're in distress. I looked up the word mercy in the lexicon and it said this special and immediate regard for misery. Special and immediate regard for misery. In the scriptures, oftentimes when you see the word mercy, it's actually compassion. You actually have to look at the Greek word to find out which it is. Because when we think of mercy, we think of God not doing bad things to us, or not allowing bad things, not being punished. God withholding punishment. That's how we usually think of mercy. But since we have received his grace, we don't need his mercy in that way. 
Jesus took all of our bad things, right? So mercy deals specifically with the consequences that come from sin, not just our sin. It's good to know that's there, though. <laughs> if I blow it, I blow it big. My father still wants to give me mercy. The consequences in my life can be lessened because my father is merciful. That's good to know, too. <laughs> but in particular, for the word mercy, most of the time, it's going to actually be compassion. It's this concept of special and immediate regard for misery because sin always brings misery. So yes, there is accommodation, there is provision when the effects of sin affect our life. Sometimes it's us, we did it to ourselves, but sometimes it's what the other person did. Sometimes it's what somebody you didn't even know did to your house or to your car or, <laughs> or whatever. It could be so far removed from somebody you actually know, but their sin affects your life and brings distress. Our Father has special and immediate regard for our misery. He sends his kindness. Compassion says it is a suffering with another. It is painful sympathy, a sensation of sorrow excited by the distress or misfortunes of another. Pity or commiseration. Compassion is a mixed passion compounded of love and sorrow. Our Father, our Jesus, so hates sin because it always brings death and destruction into our life. Always. But he knows that we're not going to be perfect this side of heaven. And so he has provided for those times when we fail or when other people fail or when Satan just shows up out of the blue on a Sunday morning. <laughs> God will send his kindness to us. He suffers with us. That's what compassion is. It is him suffering with us. So we can never, like the disciples, who when Jesus said, let us go over to the other side, and Jesus lay down and took a nap, and a storm arose, and the disciples said, don't you care? We can never say that. We can never look at our Father or look at our Jesus and say, don't you care? He has paid the ultimate price to destroy the power of sin in our lives and on our behalf. He has given us the grace that takes care of the sin, but he gives us the mercy because of the consequences that are still left in this world. Consequences sometimes that we had nothing to do with, but yet we still suffer. It wasn't my idea to get divorced. It wasn't my idea to have my happily ever after ripped away. It wasn't my idea. I didn't do anything to deserve it. But it still happened. And so I was in distress. And my father sent his kindness. And he always sends his kindness. A few weeks ago, we looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan. I love that picture of the man half dead and naked being Adam and Jesus being the Good Samaritan. But I like it even more when I'm the man who's half naked <laughs> and half dead. Because sometimes when Satan attacks, that's exactly how you feel. Sometimes he comes against us hard from ways we weren't expecting. And we feel all broken and beat up. Our good Samaritan is kind. He poured in the oil. He poured out the wine. 
He ministered in gentleness and tenderness and kindness to the man that was broken and beat. He didn't give him a lecture about how he was at the wrong place at the wrong time. He ministered to his distress. That is who our Jesus is. That is who our Father is. When we find ourselves in distress, he sends, he comes, he brings his kindness. We can come to the throne of grace and obtain mercy. His loving kindness in the midst of our distress. In the Gospels, we see Jesus again and again and again where it says he was moved by compassion. In the story of the Good Samaritan, it says he, the Good Samaritan, was moved with compassion. The suffering of somebody else so hurts his own heart that he determines not to leave them in that state. That's what compassion does. It says, I see your pain. He doesn't say, oh, that's too bad, so sad for you. He says, let me be kind. Let me be gentle. Let me be tender. Let me pour in the oil. Let me pour in the wine. Let me hold you. Let me pick you up. Let me rescue you. Let me sit you with myself at the right hand of the Father. Let me change the way you see yourself. Let me show you how to walk this victory out. Let me change your world. Change your heart. Change your expectations. When Jesus was stirred by his compassion, he did miracles. Matthew 15, 32, it says this. Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion. I'm suffering with them on the multitude because they continue with me now these three days and have nothing to eat. I love this part. I will not send them away fasting. I will not send them away empty. He refuses to send away his children empty. When he says, come to the throne of grace, he has everything you need. He says, I refuse to let you walk away not having what I have paid for. That is his heart towards us. He opened the eyes of the blind because of his compassion. Matthew 20, 30 says, and behold, two blind men sitting by the way, when they heard Jesus that he passed by, cried out, have mercy, have compassion, minister to my distress. And he does. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Mercy is God's immediate and special regard for distress, for misery. One of my very favorite ones is when Jesus cleansed the leper in Mark chapter 1, verse 39. It says this, And he preached in their synagogues throughout Galilee, and he cast out devils. That, of course, being Jesus. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, saying, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, love and sorrow over this man's condition, put forth his hand and touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. This leper is a perfect example of the victim in the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan suffered the loss of most everything. He had no clothes left. He had no money left. If he had transportation, that was gone. He was busted and broken and probably unable to care for him or to work. He lost everything. This is very much the life of a leper. Leprosy was highly contagious and always deadly. The life expectancy 
after somebody contracts leprosy was about nine years. It was a horrible disease. Horrible. It started to eat away at your body parts, your ears, your nose, your fingers, your toes. started to rot and fall off. And not only that, you started to grow these horrible lumps all over your body. So it deformed and disfigured you beyond recognition. And a rabbi is never supposed to touch a leper. Not only did they have the loss of their family and the loss of their home, they had to live outside the city. They had nothing and no one. They would often make leper communities because nobody else was allowed to touch them or to talk to them. They lost everything. Can you think of a more distressing kind of life? A more distressing place to be? And then have to yell unclean everywhere you go? To tell everybody, this is what I am. I am unclean. I am a leper. I am the walking dead. Nothing in my life will ever get better. But Jesus. But Jesus. I love this. Jesus didn't say be healed. He could have done that. He could have just said, just like with the centurion, just say the word, Jesus, and they'll be healed. Jesus could have said, okay, my son, be healed. No. Jesus has a heart of compassion. He so loves, he so hurts. When we hurt, he hurts. And he says, I refuse to leave you that way. I refuse to leave you in pain. I refuse to leave you depressed. I refuse to leave you alone. I refuse to leave you the way I found you. I will not send you away empty. And he touches him. He touches him. Why? After I was divorced, a subtle, strange thing started to happen with the people at my church. They stopped hugging me. (laughs) I guess I was dangerous at that point. (laughs) But people stopped hugging me. They stopped touching me. Some of them even stopped talking to me. I felt like a leper. What did I do? I didn't do this. This isn't fair. There was this very strange loneliness that came into my life. We don't recognize how important it is to be touched. It is the desire of every human heart, not only to be loved, but to be touched. And Jesus looked into this man who hadn't been touched in God knows how long and knew his biggest need was not his disease. His biggest need was that somebody would love him enough to touch him. That someone would say, I will warmly receive you. I will in no way cast you out. I refuse to send you away. Empty in your heart or empty in your life? And he told them, it is my will. It is my will. Be made whole. That is the kindness, the mercy of our God. He cares about when we are in distress. In Hebrews 4, verse 15, it says this, But we have not a high priest which cannot be touched, with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as like we are, and yet without sin. We could turn it into a positive way and say, he is easily touched, because he walked as a man. He knows what it's like to be lonely. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to love those who turn their back on you. 
knows all of the distresses of life. He understands. He walked completely as a man. Yes, he understands the temptation to sin. That's why it says he is a perfect high priest because he can represent us to the Father like nobody else can. We can't say to the Father, you don't know what it's like to be me. You don't know how much this hurts. Because Jesus stands and says, I do know. I do know. I've been there. I felt that loneliness. I felt that pain. I felt that distraction. I felt that frustration. I do know. And because I do know, I know how to meet the need. I know how to bring the kindness. I know how to display the love. I know how to send people into your life who will take care of you. I know. And I do. And I care. In Psalm 17, 6 and 7 says this. I have called upon thee, for thou wilt hear me. I love that. This is Old Covenant. This is David. (laughs) I have called upon thee because you will hear me. He had no question that God was going to hear him. Now, he spent the first five verses telling God why he should. (laughs) I've avoided the evil and I've done the good. Old Covenant. But he was still sure the Father would hear him. He says, O God, incline thine ear unto me and hear my speech. Shew thy marvelous loving kindness. O thou that savest by thy right hand them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. Marvelous loving kindness. If you took the word marvelous, it's kind of a strange word because it actually means to set apart, to make distinct, to make great. He's actually asking here for special and immediate mercy. Special and immediate kindness. You see, in the Old Testament, the word loving kindness is actually the Hebrew word hesed. It is the equivalent, if you will, of grace and mercy combined. The translator in the early 1500s, wanting to make an English Bible, came across this word hesed and said, It's too big. It's too marvelous. It's too wonderful. There is no word for this. It's like trying to put a camel through the eye of a needle. It doesn't fit. It's too big. It's too wonderful. This loving kindness. It was God's love, God's grace, his unmerited favor. It was all of that. And it was this mercy and compassion and covenant. It was all of it. There was no English word. So he had to make one up. It isn't just his love. It isn't just his mercy. It's all of his kindness and goodness all wrapped together in this word called hesed, loving kindness. Even in the Old Testament, God was always trying to tell them, don't turn away from me. I am the one who is full of loving kindness. I am the one who hurts when you hurt. I am the one who wants to send you away full. Don't run after other gods. You will be empty. Run after me and I will fill you. I will take care of you. I will rescue you. I will defend you. Everything is in his loving kindness. So, I like the last half of that. Show thy marvelous, thy special and immediate. You see, the reason David asked this was because he was in special and dire circumstances. And he says, you know, Lord, your everyday grace is not enough. How's that for bold? Your everyday grace is insufficient for what I'm dealing with right now. I need special and immediate. I need you to hear me right now. I need you to come to my rescue right now. I need you to work immediately right now. 
He was bold enough under the old covenant to say, God, everyday grace is not enough. I want more. What God's answer is? Yes. <laughs> because God loves it when we're bold enough to say, this is what I need, and I'll not be sent away empty. You're too good to send me away fasting. You're too good to leave me without. I'll not be denied because you're too good. You are good, good Father. This morning I want us to receive communion. Are you in a place of distress? Have you come boldly to the throne of grace and said, I need special and immediate right now. I need you to show up and show off. Maybe you're not in distress right now. Praise God. (laughs) But whatever you do have need of, he doesn't want us to walk away empty. Whatever you have need of, it doesn't have to be distress. Remember, kindness is goodwill. Kindness is the charity of God, his, his delight in granting the wishes of his children. He's so good. He wants you to have everything you have needed. I'm going to ask Janet and Lauren to come and serve the communion as we prepare to receive the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a covenant. It is his covenant responsibility and delight to take care of us. His blood has washed away every sin, every stain, and his body has paid for our healing. His blood has taken away the curse. Anything under the curse doesn't belong in our life. He doesn't want it there. He wants us to have everything we need. And it's all available at the throne of mercy and grace.